0: on VFBS
1: with Kate
0: Chabot. HMS Queen Elizabeth embodies the best of British technology and innovation. A true flagship for the 21st century. The UK is unconditionally committed to the security and defence of Europe. Rocketman is on
2: a suicide mission for himself and for his regime.
0: Hello, I'm Kate Chabot. Welcome to the final SITREP of the year. Today we're going to glance back over our shoulders at the highs and lows of 2017. We'll be assessing the current state of Britain's armed forces, looking ahead to Brexit and what it means for British and European security and examining how the world has changed in the last 12 months. We'll also look over the horizon to 2018 and attempt to a few predictions for the future. Well, I'm joined by Elizabeth Braw, a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, Lord a former chief of the general staff, Francis Chuser, editor of Defence Analysis and Christopher Lee, our very own BFBS Defence Analyst. Hello to all of you. Um, Let's begin with a look at some of those themes in more depth, starting with events in UK defence.
3: This government will guide the country through the crucial Brexit talks that
1: begin in just 10 days.
2: I realise that in the past I may have fallen below the high standards that we require of the armed forces that I have the honour to represent. There
4: isn't uh, a one or the other here.
2: We start institutionally under-resourced and we're now reconsidering the strategic um, security conditions around that fact.
0: The most powerful and capable ship ever to raise the white ensign. She will, in the years and decades ahead, represent this country's resolve on the global stage. So, a general election resulting in a minority government, a new defence secretary, the thorny issue of defence spending and a new aircraft carrier. Uh, Lord Dannett, first of all, you were here with us last year when you described 2016 as extraordinary. How would you describe 2017?
3: I think 2017 has turned out to be a very turbulent year. Um, turbulence in so many different ways. and I mean, the political turbulence following the general election and the surprise general election and the extraordinary way in which it was conducted uh, leading to a minority government which has made the prime minister's position so much weaker as far as negotiation with our european partners is concerned and then the rising concern in the defense community uh, about the cost of defense um, itself largely a reflection of the Brexit result in June last year, and then the departure of the Defence Secretary, um, a personal tragedy for him, but a tragedy for defence, because he was just starting to make the case in the public space that the defence budget needed increasing, Mm. and the fact that he's gone, um, that's undermined that case that is important.
0: Elizabeth
1: Braw, how did you see it, 2017? well you can uh, if 2016 was extraordinary uh, 2017 was even more extraordinary or uh, as as Lord Dana just said extremely turbulent and looking uh, at the international stage We, of course, had Russia versus Ukraine again. We had Trump versus the rest of NATO. Who should pay what? Who should do what? And should uh, the U.S. in fact help its European allies? We had Trump's uh, standoff with North Korea. We had a war in Yemen. We had PESCO. And we had the migrant crisis. And we had Twitter, which I think emerged as the most unexpected foreign policy forum um, of the last decade or even uh, perhaps uh, since... uh, I shouldn't exaggerate here, but uh, since World War II, when else has con- foreign policy been conducted in uh, a couple of words uh, or a sentence at most? Uh, Francis choose a difficult year for the MOD?
4: If, yeah, looking at the UK MOD, I think I, in 30 years, have not seen the MOD as low as it is today. Um, and it's going to go lower. Um, Are you talking about money or morale? Both. Um, what I would say, and you had a clip there which I think was the Permanent Under Secretary saying defence is under-resourced. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that's true. Under-resourced for what the services have said they want to do, possibly true. But if what they're trying to do is actually unrealistic, um, I, I think other countries would make a better fist of a £38 billion defence budget than is being made in Britain at the moment. And I think what is going to be very interesting going ahead is seeing how many uh emperors inside main building have no clothes
0: christopher lee
2: i think if you if you look at uh, 2017 you've got to you've got to begin with obviously with trump and that you have this character who's variously described by his friends even as grotesque um but still managing to put the stock market where it should be and therefore it becomes uh, a, a great risk as he's, even his friends would say that he could get a second term. The importance of uh, of 2017 is is a new emergence of China, uh, a new way that China is being run by Xi. That's very important. But the most obvious thing is the poor old Queen, who's who's told to say that the aircraft carrier is the most you know most effective weapon system in the Navy being launched now. Is that a lot of rubbish? <laughs> uh, the Navy is not. <laughs> Uh, uh, or rather the, the aircraft carrier isn't because the aircraft carrier doesn't have the right aircraft, it doesn't have the right destroyer uh, and frigate escorts that it will need in the future. It doesn't even have a foreign policy to which to, to lead the charge on that. And eventually... I fighting suppose,
0: words there, to start with. They're not fighting really.
2: words, it's pretty obvious. I mean, what I would like to see, instead of talking about 2017, let's go back 15 years and ask who, who didn't ask the most obvious question do we really need an aircraft carrier navy
4: well okay let me throw them on on the back of its head and this will not be uh, viewed well in portsmouth the role of our old aircraft carriers was primarily when they were built and used to protect the greenland iceland uk gap to protect mm-hmm. the frigates as they undertook anti-submarine warfare uh, taking on the soviet subs let us now go forward five years to world war three and um, a putative, of course, Russian move in on Eastern Europe and so forth. What will our aircraft carriers be doing? Will they be, A, operating east of Suez, or will they actually be operating in the North Atlantic, just like the Invincible class? And do you know what? I don't think anyone in the Navy has thought of this. And
2: the first job of the of the, of the carrier captain is to take his ship into winter North Atlantic to see how many guys get seasick, but to, to see if the ship will stand up. And there is the future. It's the wrong okay. future for the Navy. All right,
0: let's just park the aircraft carrier for the moment. It's having repairs anyway, um, and look towards Europe.
1: The UK is unconditionally committed to the security and defence of Europe. It is a great privilege to be
2: here at my first NATO ministerial meeting, and we're taking the opportunity to outline our continued commitment to the NATO alliance and our partners.
3: The UK is a global leader. It's a a leader in uh, NATO, the most successful alliance in the history of the world. Uh, But NATO won't always be the most successful alliance in the history of the world if, if all of its members don't... Invest, resource, do the work that's necessary to keep it that way.
2: We are taking cooperation between NATO and the EU to a new level. This is more important than ever as the EU looks to strengthen European uh, defence through a permanent structured cooperation and the European Defence Fund.
0: So Britain's committed to defence and security in Europe, committed to NATO, but also committed to Brexit. Elizabeth Brahe, how is Brexit changing the UK's
1: relationship with its European allies, do you think? Well, they are already saying that they will miss uh, the UK. But when it comes to defence, um, I think what we'll see is, is Britain uh, obviously uh, playing a larger role in NATO, just to to have uh, some sort of uh, uh, alliance where it can play a major role. Even though it's uh, it's it's um, it has played a major role in NATO for a long time, but renewed commitment to NATO, but also through agreements. Uh, in um, sort of regional settings, for example, um, the uh, Jeff which is a, a smaller alliance. Um, well, we uh, have the announcement today about Poland, don't we? That's right, that too. So a it's, new defence and that's, security that's agreements right. with Poland. Yes. That's right. So It's the second time the UK has signed a... a uh, bilateral, uh, different in, in recent years that uh, uh, Britain has signed a bilateral defence agreement. So we'll see more of these sort of uh, regional arrangements, I think, between the UK and, uh, and other countries, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I,
4: I think what worries me looking ahead, and certainly with past history, <coughs> just to give one example of how, I agree, generally, the Europeans Brexit and defence are different. Speak to the French, they say there is no link at all. However, they would like to see a UK who is involved in defence. And give one example, in this year's Norwegian defence budget, they have increased the size of the army by 5,000 people, and the reason is because the UK is no longer committed to the northern flank. And it used to be, a given that the Royal Marines at the very least and other troops would be there, and because the view in Oslo is UK, where are they? We're going to have to increase the size of the army. And it's great signing all these bilaterals. You then have to back them up with regular, and we've spoken about exercises, things like that, British troops have to be seen there. And my worry at the moment is that level of commitment. It's, it's in inverted commas, boring that every year the third Blankshires will go to Estonia and the second uh, Rifles will go to Sweden. You know, but Blue if you do orange. Yeah, but if you don't do uh, that, people do not have confidence that when the balloon goes up, you will be there. And that worries me about L- MOD. Lord
0: Dunnett, what do you think about the shifting sands of European defence?
4: Well, I agree
3: with virtually everything that's been said so far, but I think what's really interesting post the Brexit referendum uh, is that the Eurocrats have really taken off as far as wanting to develop um, integrated European defence capabilities. And that's wonderful words, but we've always said we'd never be part of that. The UK absolutely has to stay committed to NATO. The really significant thing about NATO is the involvement of the United States, uh, as, as, frankly, as guarantor of European security, and will remain so. And, and if you think back to the comments made by the U.S. Uh, Army commander in Germany, in Europe re- recently, expressing dismay that Lef- the U.K.'s Lieutenant
0: uh, ben, Hon- General? ben Hodges,
3: yes, um, expressing dismay that our capability was going down and that we were no longer a leader within NATO and no longer a capable ally, and that's a real shame. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have to demonstrate that capability by exactly the sort what, of things. What, how that did
0: you react when you heard him say that?
3: I thought he was spot on. Um, He's not the first senior American to say that. And it's very disappointing. For those of us who are professionals and have got good links across the Atlantic, we don't like the fact that they are disappointed
4: in the reduction of our capability. I think one of the issues, backing up Lord Dennett is sometimes one's friends are the people who have to give the hard news and the harsh news. And the Americans, yes, I would say, of note, and it is always written up with a degree of uh, regret, uh, there are at least two French army studies on the British army experience in Iraq and Afghanistan, both of which come to the conclusion the British army is broken and they have briefed this to uh, British forces. They're not saying this uh, jingoistically, they're not saying this jeering, they are disappointed and they would like to see a stronger Britain in Europe in defence terms.
1: Well, of, of course they want to, because it, that means that they have less responsibility, which is what NATO is, is about, right? Shared responsibility. And I think it comes down to the issue of what glo- Britain's global ambitions are, or is it indeed global ambitions? Or... Do you
0: think Britain's global ambitions have changed, Elizabeth?
1: Well, if you look at defence funding, uh, uh, they have. So maybe Britain is um, heading towards the future as a, as a regional power rather than a global military power. And um, the, the fate of the aircraft carrier is essentially an illustration of that. What is it needed for? What will it be doing?
0: Still to come, who and what will threaten world security in 2018? BFBS SitRep. Well, you're listening to the final SitRep of 2017. I'm joined today by Elizabeth Braw, a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. Lord Danner, a former chief of the general staff. Francis Chuser, editor of defence analysis. And Christopher Lee, our BFBS defence analyst. At this time last year, the world was reeling from the election of America's new president, Donald Trump.
2: The United States has great strength and patience. But if it is forced to defend itself or its allies... We will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime.
0: Well, that was the 45th President of the United States, memorably addressing the United Nations General Assembly for the first time. Lord Dan, at not quite a year in power, what have you made of him so far?
3: Well, we were always concerned um, what he would be like on the world stage and I think our concerns are are well founded. The comfort that I take is that he's got some good people around him, Uh, Rex Tillotson the Secretary of State, um, HR McMaster as the National Security Advisor and Jim Mattis as the Defence Secretary and now he's got General John Kelly as Chief of Staff in the White House. These are good people and provided, and we've seen it a couple of times this year, Provided Donald Trump, when he's making a speech, literally stays on cue, stays on message, then he's guided well by those advisers I've just mentioned. The danger comes when he takes it to himself, he starts sending out tweets and, and frankly, forming foreign policy from the quietness of his own study or or, or whatever. That is really dangerous.
0: Christopher Lee, how, how dangerous do you think President Trump is? I don't
3: think
2: it's at all dangerous. Quite frankly, unless you miscalculate, as some, as someone who is perhaps listening to him, And so for example, if you were a North Korean leader, and you started to say, "I'm not going to listen to what my advisers are telling me," and they are telling him that this man is a performance uh, orator, and uh, therefore we carry on with our program because what we really want to do is is, is to have a proper nuclear, become a proper nuclear power, which is which is uh, recognised and perhaps even respected. And then you look at the other side of it and you say, well, uh, how does America see him? I was saying earlier, if you happen to be a stockbroker, you think this is not bad at all, the way this is actually going, because the stock exchange is is pretty high. And yes, McMaster and Co. are extraordinarily good and very important, and that's to be remembered. And we have the best good cop, bad cop, Expression at the moment, uh, with the way that Tillerson, the, the, the Secretary secular state, is working towards, eventually, if uh, if North Koreans tone it down a bit, um, that they can get talks going, which is what North Koreans perhaps want in some form, and then you get a pretty pretty sort of low key uh, re- response from the president who says, look, don't believe it, etc. Mm. Uh, on 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 balance, uh, out of ten,
0: I. I'm sure he'll be listening.
2: (laughs) I I give the guy seven out of ten. Seven, wow. Seven out of ten. I mean, is the world in a worse state because of the leader of the Western world just behaving
4: as he is? answer is no.
0: Francis Chuser.
4: I would say if uh, he has had a positive effect on European defence, it is actually scaring the living bejesus out of a lot of European countries and realising they cannot continue to treat defence as a... not even nice to have it's do you think, something do you think over think
0: there this could partly elizabeth be where this idea the the whole new european pact has come from or is that well,
1: stretching it too far <laughs> <laughs> well uh, trump would like to think uh, so to yeah I'm sure say that. Uh, th- the reality is that uh, those um, the the uh, plans for increased defence spending started before he came to power. But, the, but, but they have but
4: accelerated, and so I think there is a degree of scaredness realising, and just as one example, the fact that we have seen in short order Poland, uh, Romania and Sweden all buying Patriot missiles, spending um, billions. Well, you
1: can thank Mr. P- Mr Putin for that.
4: Yeah, yeah. But but actually they would have delayed, there's been a rush to buy, because by buying American a kit like that, you're also buying uh, the implicit US security guarantee. They've all got
2: 23% discount as well. True. No, that's not bad. No, not that's in why
0: <laughs> On sale, hey? Oh, well, let's turn to worldwide threats to security. Under the direct orders of our loving supreme leader, the intercontinental ballistic missile was successfully fired the Democratic People's Republic of Korea's national scientists report to
4: follow.
3: It's all made up by people in opposition to Trump in order to make out that his work is illegitimate. This means that they are not treating the electors who voted for him with respect.
0: The nuclear threat from North Korea, President Putin's view of Trump's opposition and a bit of singing there from the Chinese Communist Party Congress. Lord Dannett, is China top of the list when it comes to Britain's strategic planning?
3: No, I don't think China is top of the list. China is extraordinarily significant, particularly in the context of of North Korea. Um, I think we have to remember that North Korea depends very heavily on China, and I think one's always taken the view that if North Korea got so far out of line, China would eventually put its arms around it and say enough and, and no more. And I think that really has to be the axis that needs to be developed to make sure that China, we're on good enough, and the the Americans particularly are on good enough relations, good enough terms with China, to make sure that China exerts the right influence over North Korea and prevents the enormity of North Korea doing something incredibly stupid, which would undoubtedly provoke an American reaction that would be catastrophic.
0: Christopher Lee, you think we should be watching China very closely, don't you?
2: I certainly do, and certainly after the Congress, which was just a few weeks ago in Beijing. If you look what President Xi did... He put together a, a team of seven people who will be running China in all aspects, including uh, finances and in- including strategic ambitions. Um, for example, one of the guys there, one of the, Dong uh, 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 who, Bei, who took over the, what do we do about debt? His principle for the past eight years, and now he's in the most senior position, is you go around, you buy debt from the world. And if you can't get the money right, you say, as they've just done last week in, in Sri Lanka, we'll buy the port or give us the port in, in turn of it. It is this idea that uh, President Xi has using this team of expanding China, and look what they're doing in in, in defence spending as well, but expanding China in a way we don't normally look at it. Mm. Where are they? What are they doing? And where do they intend to believe in Africa uh, in, in particular, but also... For example, Piraeus now. Uh, the Greeks don't own Piraeus anymore. Who owns Piraeus? The Chinese. Now, if these were Russians, we'd be getting really screwed up about it. And we'd be saying, God, Lord, the, you know, the Russians are on, on the march. Mm. But watch China, not a threat, military threat, unless you happen to have sort of uh, nervousness about the South China Sea. Not a military threat.
0: Francis Chusa, um IS.
4: This is going to be the interesting one of uh, yes, IS defeated, use the term loosely in um, Iraq and Syria. Where is it going to show up next in strength? And we already know there are groups all across uh, the Middle East. And if, if you were to ask me about general you know, threats looking ahead, things the UK should be really considering, it's The possibility that one uh, country we have um, a Commonwealth country or another one we have a strategic defence agreement with suddenly gets a serious terrorist threat. Think Kenya, think Oman and so forth. Um, Yeah, they are not beaten because at the end of the day, it's a franchise and it can just morph and uh, move elsewhere. We've got to start working out which other allies might start falling prey to IS infestation and so we will have to go and help them.
1: And that could be the UK itself, because as IS defea- is defeated in, in Iraq and Syria, the foreign fighters will start returning, are already returning to the countries where they came from, including here uh, to the UK, uh, Denmark, Germany, uh, Sweden. And that's a big threat. And I, I think it's uh, to the credit of our secu- security services that there uh, haven't been more attacks by returned foreign fighters.
2: Isn't it interesting that, the, by and large, the British public? Even France, which has had quite a lot to do with IS, the British public are not apparently bothered about this. They don't give any explanation. They don't give in any demonstration of the fact that there is a threat and that they ought to be frightened.
0: Lord Dunnett, let's just mention Russia for a moment. There's elections in March. What kind of President Putin, assuming he gets in, of course, do you think we'll be faced with in 2018? I say assuming, but you know.
3: <laughs> well, I think we have to make the working assumption that Putin will remain in charge in whatever shape or form in in Russia. I think we also have to remember that the Russian economy is in, is in a bad way. Um, yes, of course, um, Putin has been doing his best to reinvigorate and strengthen the Russian military capability but um, ultimately he he ought to be thinking about and he knows that he ought to mend his relations with the West because essentially he wants to trade he's got gas and oil that he needs to get out he needs money that he needs to get in so he can huff and puff and bluster and we need to React to that, and I think that's why some of the react some how? of how well I think some of the deployments we've got, um, the battle group that we're contributing to in Estonia, that sort of thing is important. Personally, and it touches on a number of things we've been saying this morning. I think there is a very strong case for the UK defence budget to be increased by a quarter or a half of of one percent. I think it would send a strong message to Mr Trump that we are taking our part in defence seriously. It would send a strong message to Mr Putin as well.
0: This is
4: BFBS sitrep.
0: So, 2018, a big year ahead. Some have already described it as a very serious year. Brexit negotiations will be concluded, a presidential election in Russia, as we just mentioned, and a NATO summit will be held in Brussels. Elizabeth, will you be there at the NATO summit?
1: If they invite me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it will certainly be very... Uh, interesting summit. I wish uh, it would include uh, invitation to more countries to join, but uh, uh, the the countries that would like to join won't be invited, and the countries that that would uh, bring the most to the table, which are Sweden and Finland, don't want to join. So we'll we won't see anything uh, as high profile as that.
0: What do you think will lead the
1: agenda? Well, I this is where everybody puts their wish lists on the on the wall, and and. Um, and uh uh, those wish lists are very long for me it would include a focus on on logistics we'll obviously see a new logistics command which is most likely uh, to be based in germany and uh, logistics i think is the big achilles heel of of uh, nato operations right now the fact that you can't get troops from um from western europe where they would typically uh, uh, start from to to um, uh, a theatre in uh, farther east and uh, if you can't get the troops to where they need to be then why have we been talking about Article 5.
0: Lord Dunnett, what are your main concerns for 2018? What do you think we should be looking out for?
3: I think the main concern we're going to have is waiting to see what the outcome of this much talked about capability review is and if the UK defence budget is too small and if that does result in a reduction in certain capabilities then I think inevitably there is a very strong case to have a defence review to align our policy to our capabilities and earlier on in this program we talked about the aircraft carriers that procurement decision taken in 2007 and I was sitting around the defence board table at the time that procurement decision has actually driven the type of Navy we've got it's kind of it's driven our defence policy And in many ways, it's driving our foreign policy. And I don't think that actually is right. So we ought to start again and look at Britain's ambition, its place in the world, um, and then shape our capabilities around fulfilling that policy. A lot of work to be done there. We've got to tackle it.
4: Certainly, the talk at the moment is that uh, the capability review, rather than reporting late January, early February, could well be delayed and turned into a much larger piece of work reporting next November. Let's wait and see on that. Might, the, why,
0: why might that be just because of the, the amount of work that needs to be done?
4: Uh, the amount of work that needs to be done, and one gets the impression some of the initial conclusions coming up are causing people in positions of power to go, really? Oh, Because um, we've
0: heard all the speculation, which yes. has been called just that, about the Royal Marines, about HMS Bulwark, about mm-hmm. HMS Albion.
4: And the Army offering up an Armoured Infantry Brigade, the Air Force offering up various other bits and bobs. Um, and then subsequently we've heard via leaks from former service chiefs, that they do want a full strategic review. Um, coming back to my point that um, I think next year, this year has been bad for the MAD and next year will be at least as bad, um, a review, unfortunately, is going to highlight, and this is a point Elizabeth's is making, <clears throat> can the UK ever, and I mean ever, afford to be a global power? Or should we remember that from the withdrawal from east of Suez in 1968... Up to pretty much
0: how much would it cost to be a global power?
4: I'm trying to work this one out <laughs> at the moment. But but if you work out during the Cold War, the, the, the high days of the Cold War, nineteen seventies and eighties, UK was spending six to seven percent of GDP, and we had no ambitions to operate outside of Northwest Europe and the North mm. Atlantic. And that was six to seven percent of GDP. Now, if we were to speak about, for the sake of argument, a war fighting division we could project anywhere in the world at speed. I actually think, in terms of the size of the British economy, you'd be speaking about spend of 10 to 12% of GDP. Mm. And I don't know about any of you, that's, just not, that's just not going to happen.
2: No, the other thing is, if we could do that, we'd be America, wouldn't we? We wouldn't be British. No, listen, but that's uh, precisely, the, boiled, precisely uh, the point. Francis, I tell you, yeah. over the boiled egg this morning, uh, two guys, both of them M.O.D., not particularly senior, but they hear what's going on. Uh, come September, October, late this year... After the statement to the uh, security uh, committee in the commons, there is no going to be no more money. Guys are for the first time in the MOD where they work talking about carriers for sale and change the whole possibilities, because you then extend it You think that's a real
0: possibility? Oh, yeah.
2: Absolutely. uh, uh, I'd say
4: it depends, of course, which service you're talking about. Well, no, the
2: RF will help you out on this. Well, they won't, because (laughs) actually it's only only the only airfield that they've got. Can I give you just one more thing? Andrew uh, Andrew, uh, uh, Parker, uh, head of MI5, he said a couple of days ago, half of Europe are scared of Russia, half of Europe are scared of terrorism... They all are asking for our, as his people, security people, and in uh, MI6 and GCHQ, asking for our help. How do we handle this? This you get back to the Brexit thing. Most of his time on Brexit is spent going around saying, "Don't worry, we're still here." That's the thing to watch for in in. 2018, will we remain there? The answer is yes.
0: Well, that is all we have time for today and for this year. My thanks to our guests, Elizabeth Braw, Lord Dannett, Francis Chuser, and Christopher Lee. Did you agree with what they had to say? Let us know your thoughts on Twitter. You can follow us at BFBS representative We're back in 2018. So from me, Kate Chabot, thanks for listening. Have a happy Christmas and a happy new year. Bye-bye.
3: The best of British news, sport and entertainment
1: for the British forces overseas. This is BFBS Radio 2.